0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the VR1 NFT podcast, and I am your host. Thank you guys once again for tuning in on this beautiful uh, presidential day. I had a few business meetings planned, and now I cannot get a hold of my business partners. I don't know if they're going to open the business, if they're not going to open the business, I've had a few things to handle myself, which is what we're going to talk about. And um, today, we're going to talk about digital distribution. So I'll see if I can squeeze in a module for you guys. But I basically want to let you guys know where I stand, okay? So I released an amazing album um, yesterday. It was titled... The only home I'll ever know. It's an NFT of the album. There's 16 brand new original songs. The NFT is actually, if if you guys remember like the color changing Hot Wheels, that when you would wet them, they would be one color, and then when they dried up, they'll be a different color. Well, my NFTs, a lot of the times they're programmed that way. So they look a certain way for a specific amount of time. And after you listen to it several times then basically you will get to see the 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 nft kind of morph into its final stage so the nft release of the album is at its final design let me fix my speaker so you guys hear me perfectly and um i'm enjoying it because i was able to program what i believe is going to be the final mix of the mastering um the first release was good for what was my intention was to get it out as soon as possible actually it was delayed for about a day and a half and um besides that um you know able to move forward we uh we raised the choruses a little bit we adjusted the sound of the instrumental and we added the final layer of the vocals And um, it made a huge difference. When you hear the sound quality all across different monitors, it sounds so much better. So let's talk about that project so that you guys can understand that it was a labor of love. Um, One of my childhood friends, uh, this gentleman is like a brother to me, whom is also one of my business partners, basically sent me these two pictures of my childhood home because he was visiting some family members and he just happened to pass by. He thought about me, so he took some pictures. So I took the picture and I turned that art into what would be the concept and the cover art for the NFT, which would become the cover art for the album. And um, I was so emotional. I cried the first day because I had been going through so many things that day and I had been praying so hard. So to me, I took it as a sign from God, like, just keep going. Just don't worry. I know things don't look perfect right now, but I'm, I'm working on something for you. So I didn't record that day, but I already had pre-programmed, like what the visuals were going to be. And I had already uploaded all the instrumental tracks, the beats, to the motherboard so I could record rapid fire. So um, the following day, when I got to record, and and by the way, let me pause real quick and say this before I forget. This has been the longest album that I've worked on since my first unofficial, official release of the Aventador LP, which was in 2012, I believe. 2011, 2012. I, I need to double-check myself. Well, that album... I was using a a MacBook Pro that I had just gotten. I was using Pro Tools SE because it came with my M1 audio um, condenser mic, USB condenser mic. And um, it comes with the stand and everything else. And, um, you know, I was using Pro Tools. The album sounded crazy. The production quality is amazing because Pro Tools is so powerful. Now... At the time, you know, Pro Tools is still the standard for sound and, and for music production and engineering. But, you know, a lot of other producers use different things that they're more comfortable with. So, long story short, that album was written, was recorded. I used a lot of the the Life After Death, the Notorious B.I.G. beats from that album. That was, uh, you know, more or less my, my architecture foundation. That whole album was like my version of that album. And um, that became my first official album. Because it was written and printed out and formatted perfectly, lyrically, it was too potent. Like, to this day, there's there's very few artists that I can even... The album just destroys everything. It's just so, you know, very well put together. Um, I have this famous quote where Tupac had an interview, Right? And in this interview, Tupac is saying, I won't change the world, but I'll spark the brain that will change the world. And, you know, Tupac is one of my idols, right? So one of my favorite artists, one of my mentors as a kid, you know, helped shape the way that I think about the world. And, um, you know, in one of the lyrics I said, well, I, I wrote because, again, you know, I don't really write, but I can write very well. And um, you can tell the difference. Like my flow, when it's a written flow, is completely different from my my flow that's off the dome, where it's more emotional. You know, my flow that is written is more technical. So, in in one of the the in one of the verses, I said Machiavelli succeeded in speaking, sparking the brain, and that bar is so ill because I was basically explaining how I felt about that situation you know and that's just an example so the lyrically the content is so fucking raw and pure it's like it's, it's it's just a lot and um long story short that's what sets that album apart from every other album so the time that it took to you know try to get the verses on there and the adlibs and the choruses and arranging the track and everything else it was my most production heavy recording ever so then when it comes to this album what I did was on the day that I was recording the first thing I did was I laid down all the choruses or at least the initial and principal foundation to the choruses right then I was able to lay the vocals so the vocals are always rapid fire And the only difference is, in this one, I explore something different. Normally, if I'm doing the choruses, I'm laying choruses down. That's it. If I'm doing verses, I'm doing verses only. Because I'm used to doing everything at one shot. So because I record first time, one take, one shot, one kill. um, Which is my greatest weapon and advantage as far as amassing this beautiful catalog that I own today. Um, In this album... It was the most labor-intensive. Like, if I can put a, a, a time frame, I worked on this album between 12 and 14 hours yesterday. And I released it. I released the two versions with the three NFTs. And normally, I can put an album together in about an hour and change and release it, and that's it. If I ever want to add anything to it, it'll be much, much later down the line you know depending what i have going on or what i'm planning to do with it so long story short um taking all things into consideration i did this album in four stages first it was uploading the artwork and the instrumental beats to the motherboard then it was recording all of the vocals right after doing all of the verses outside of the choruses and the bridges and the hooks then i had to go back And re-highlight the choruses. And um, of course I had to engineer it and I released it. Then after I released it, I felt like there were some some things I wanted to change. Like some volumes, some levels of certain things I wanted to raise up. So when doing that, I had to add a signature outer layer for the ad-libs. And to highlight the choruses furthermore. Then I had to, uh, of course, rearrange them, remaster them. Re-engineer and re-release them. So, even today that the last uh, image um, upgrade to the NFTs was done, um, basically now the final version is out. It was the most labor-intensive. Um, I mean, I fell asleep really, really late. And I, I worked on the album all day, which that right there, for me, I would have done 20 fucking albums in the same time. So... I give myself props for doing that. Um, What could I have done differently? Well, I think moving forward, instead of doing all the choruses first and then doing my verses, even as I was laying down my my verses, right, for each song, I went back and highlighted the choruses and then engineered and mastered the song. Instead of going from one track to the next, I didn't want to add a third layer in that sequence, meaning I didn't want to do all the choruses, and then do all the verses, and then do all the highlights, etc. I did all the choruses, then I did all the verses per song, then I did the highlights to that chorus, which takes a lot of downtime because that initial thought or that initial concept that I want to use, like that energy that I want to portray on the next following song, is diminished because I'm stopping to have to do the chorus, etc. So, one thing about the way that I record and one of the reasons why I have amassed such a huge catalog is that I'm able to sequence um, everything else the way that I do, but in a very efficient way. So, whatever I learn today, I apply it today. I don't have to go through this process of, you know, getting things right. Also, also... Um, a small percentage deals with the production because for the 16 tracks that I selected, you know I don't hear them. So these producers, there was two beats that sounded redundant and they were very slow compared to the rest of the production. So what I find sometimes is that I can tell that I have a conflict or it is a challenge for me, which makes me better and I welcome it. But um, when a producer produces tracks just to express whatever that feeling is for that moment. And when they produce, they don't think about well, if I was creating an album, how can I create units that come together to to form a collective that becomes an album or an EP? You know, if you're producing 16 different wild tunes unless you have a signature as far as production it's not going to be too coherent. Sometimes that can work if it's done intentionally or if it's not done intentionally but still there's a a streamlined effect then that could potentially work. If it's not necessarily that case then it may it may work uh completely uh differently, right? So the breakdown might not be the same. So as I see it fit You know, sometimes I do want to listen to, let's say, other production, or I do want to listen to other producers, but I'm unable to do so for the simple fact that I feel that I can't capture the initial thought. Um, At the same time, I do like progressive choruses, which in the beginning of the album, when you listen to it, you'll see that the choruses are progressive to the sequential songs that follow. Now... If I'm freestyling, meaning if I'm recording "Fresh off my Dome," the chorus may evolve as the lyrics are evolving, as every song is evolving into an EP and eventually an album, which is a good thing. I kind of like that. I like that vortex of energy um for me that probably would work best, but um for this album, I didn't make it so much about myself, like I wanted it to be chorus heavy. And chorus friendly because the people that would be listening to it are basically from where I'm from. Grew up in my stomping grounds. And um, this is to kind of give them a gift. To say, you know what, I'm going to do an album. It's going to be chorus heavy for you guys. So that you don't have to memorize all of my complex lyrics. You could just memorize the choruses and enjoy the song that way. So in a sense, I kind of passed the baton. Like, I I catered the album to connect a little bit differently than my regular album. So, this album is very unique in that sense, that it has all those uh, elements inside of it. And one thing that I looked back uh, on yesterday is the fact that it was so labor-intensive. And, um, again, there's two records that I can say for sure, kind of at a pause to the to the album kind of slow it down and and it breaks the album down and then it builds it back up so for that effect it was very good very awesome then between the first and last song they're so cohesive because it kind of expresses a complete message so I'm very proud of the album you know Um, I always feel like my newest album is my best album and I challenge myself every single time to produce a better album. I, I have had situations where I have worked with producers that just, they're, they're on the lane and, and the energy's there, and then it just fucking falls apart. Like, they just give up on the energy and the momentum. And um, sometimes a producer either wants to express that or they're going through something in their personal life and it kind of uh affects how they produce or whatever, how they create their art. So long story short, it kind of puts everything into perspective. So for me, um, I try to let the producers do what they do, but, um, you know, I feed off the energy of the instrumental or the production. So I do challenge myself to work with a new producer every time I release a record. And I try to highlight what they already bring to the table. So I forced myself to do those records. I could easily remove those records from the album. I could have easily not done those records. But I like to face that challenge because, for me, it builds a muscle of development. You know, it gives me an opportunity for growth. It gives me an opportunity to kind of, what would be the word? I guess grow for me. I guess growth would be, probably the best term um again i normally record a little bit earlier today but today was different because i was brainstorming about everything i had to do for my business partners and and host these meetings right and i winded up using technology to just connect with them from a distance because i knew i had other things to do so i actually listened to the record again and this new version sounds even better and would I go back and do a third revision though no. um I think just with the NFTs morphing into three different shapes and designs is cool enough and in between those changes in designs you had two versions of the album with the first two images being the first part and then the last image being the 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 crowning achievement with the final mix so I did include both records on the NFT in its second release form and then I eliminated the the first um what's that called I eliminated the first version songs to the final version and again this was all programmed in the NFT so it's just cool dope shit and um you know at the end of the day it just it is what it is. You know at the end of the day it's like building from that And, um, you know, just taking it a day at a time, just taking it there and not worrying about anything, you know, just moving forward. Like, I'm already looking forward to today's project, whatever it may be, and this will lead us into today's main topic. So, I'm looking at distribution, obviously, because I'm getting ready for this transition, right, right? Into what is basically the uh, the full breakdown of you know what is going to be my my final decision, right? So how do we how do we break this down? Beautiful fucking Porsche two, beautiful Porsche Carrera GTS convertible, love it. Um, how can I? How can I break this down? So I'm going to be doing some research because as far as I was concerned, I was happy with moving my new catalog for one year on a one-year deal with uh, United Masters. And, you know, I was in the battle of 85 to 90%. You know, Bad Bunny's deal is a 90-10 split. So I want to beat that, of course, right? And everything I predicted has come into fruition because I predicted that from this point forward, the changes would be one basis point. So if Bad Bunny has a 90-10 split, I was aiming for 95, right? Well, there's a package that comes attached to that. CD Baby is offering me 91%, which is not the 5% difference that I wanted. It's only a 1% difference, but it's still better than his contract, right? Now, I need to do research because, of course, there's other uh, distributors like Reverb Nation, TuneCore, DistroKid, etc. Now, I've heard about all these other distributors, but what compelled me the most to consider CD Baby is that they are showcasing partnerships that are strategic to Apple and Spotify because they are on the priority list which is basically the the two avenues that I want to pursue but by comparison United Masters was telling me about 35 plus DSPs so I'm like okay 35 plus DSPs, I was more interested in taking over their catalog than anything else. Now, what happens at CD Baby is completely different because they're talking about 150 DSPs. And as I'm reading some articles, you know, I even saw a thing which I haven't confirmed, but what I want to do is I want to do the research to see which will be the best for what I'm trying to do. So now, this gives me a moment of reflection during this moment of reflection that is organic. This is what's really happening with my career. So, long story short, breaking this down completely, right, as I see it fit, it's basically another opportunity opening up for myself to be able to make an even better decision for the simple fact that I didn't even consider looking into any other, um, let's say, any other distributor, because in a sense, my loyalty was to, um, to, uh, to United Masters, right? So I'm thinking title... Jay Z Steve Stout. I even promoted it in a few songs in one second I'm trying to scratch this little thing in my back and I'm using like a <laughs> a little extension piece that I use in my in my barbershop so basically now this gives me the opportunity to rethink my thoughts because. I'm very rarely deviated unless there's an implementation of technology that can vastly improve what I'm trying to do. So, everything is an investment. Even from the, the business decisions that I made today, I knew I had to be in three or four different places in, in town today. And I decided to narrow that down to two locations and then to one location and then I decided to basically say, you know what, let me wait until tomorrow to make a decision. So, in this comparison, I already see some basic pros and cons, and I'm going to discuss that with you guys because I want to see the contrast between the unknown, which is right now, right, I'm I'm constantly uh, approaching this situation to the moment where, you know i'm i'm breaking everything down in the sense of after i do the research i'm going to be able to give you guys some of the feedback so from my understanding there's a difference when you release an album on cd baby for example a single is 20 no i'm sorry a single is $10 but if you release it on pro it's you know $29 if i'm not mistaken A regular album is $29 for the release or $40 if it's a pro-release or a pro-rated version. So, taking that into consideration, I'm trying to see what the differences are. From what I understand, it's the CD and vinyl distribution that is the difference. Now, that's a great bonus, and I probably would do it just for that because they have a partnership with Disc Makers, which is the industry standard and the only entity that I would trust to basically, um, you know, like, help me with the production of of my material. So, automatically, I see that there is a price difference because um, in comparison to United Masters, there's two options for pricing. Now, this is, again, something that I want to fully understand. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, United Masters says there's no limit to what you can release because they're getting a royalty. They're getting a mechanical royalty. CD Baby, by comparison, takes 9%. So it would be a 91-9 split on my my advantage. Now, I could pay... plus tax for a one-year premium membership, let's say, for example, on on United Masters, right? And what that does is it allows me to release at any time without any delays at, at that higher royalty rate, right? If I take the lower royalty rate, which is more like 85%, and what I intended to do initially, basically, I would give them a 10 days heads up. And I'm a little bit more constrained to how I can release, but they still get the job done. Remember, this is only 35 DSPs. Um, automatically, when I listen to CD Baby giving me access to 150 plus priority in Spotify and Apple which is where I plan to move the catalog then automatically that, you know, it turns on the light bulb and it raises the awareness of exactly what I'm trying to do. So, I see that there's a higher cost and at the same time the balance exchange is the fact that they have physical distribution. So the trade-off for me would be just having physical distribution would make it worth my time, right? So as an added bonus for me to know that I'm, I'm in 150 DSPs, you know, some counters, I, I read something about 300, which I don't know, but let's just say the 150 by comparison changes the dynamic of everything because I was trying to be political too. You know, United Masters was started by Steve Stout. And I know that that's, you know, Jay-Z's very close friend, Nas's his close friend. And, um, you know, he just got my attention with the second round of funding, which was like $56 million. And, um, you know, this man's on top of a, a pretty big company. Now, also, looking at the advantage of having the catalog, being able to move it from one platform to Apple Music, because I have the deal at Apple Music, um, you know... It's kind of worth it. Mind you, I was willing to spend, you know, several hundred thousands of dollars to secure the rights to the production of that catalog. And because those producers are label mates, it kind of eases the bridge as far as uh, royalty, repayment, etc. Now, it does put me at a disadvantage with the contracts because they are requesting 50% of the master's. And that is not the business. Again, smart business says negotiate 50% of the publishing. That's cool. But the master original recording is a different thing. So the only way to overcome that is to have an agreement with a production company or a production team or production staff or have in-house producers, which I do not have. And because I create so much music, it's very overwhelming for one person or even a group of people. You know, being able to go on the internet and work with a new producer every time sets my music apart because nothing is redundant or repetitive. You know, every producer has his own signature sound. So for me, I like to embrace that even though on a business level, I feel that you know, like when I was creating the NFTs, right, for my business partners, I offered them 40 basis point on every release. So if I minted, you know, 20 million NFTs and I'm giving them 40%, that means I would mint 12 million NFTs for myself, 8 million for the producer. I think that's fair, right? Well, it's not a big difference if I offered them 45 basis points. And I use five basis points for any marketing promotion or or overhead. Let's say for taxes. So that puts me right back at the 50%. And what is the difference? You know, it's pennies on the dollar. You know, what is it? Five cents more? Ten cents more? So it's not a big difference. And if that's the new standard, and that's what it takes to do business, and that keeps everybody happy, then in that sense I kind of understand. Only when you consider selling it to a major label, now that person also has to authorize that release. And that's where the challenges fall. That's where the constraints are because, remember, most artists, they don't understand the business, so they don't know the in and outs, the left and rights, and this, that, and the third. For example, on CD Baby, there is no royalty collection outside of their system. Now, I'm going to pursue all the avenues for collection of royalties, right? Because I I have such a big catalog that I just can't afford not to do that, not even for one song. So in a sense, I don't mind doing it myself because I do have my own publishing company, but I still need business partners. I still have to work with other royalty collection services. And the fact that CD Baby has that outside of their structure, once again raises the question, is it worth it for the 150 DSPs plus physical distribution through their own funnel? Because I see it now as that's what I'm paying for. Also, if you calculate the amount of profit that they're going to make Every single time I release a record, let's just say, okay, let's use a hypothetical example, right? Let's put it in real-world terms. Let me take a quick sip so I can recharge my batteries. Give me one second. So, and actually, let's close off this segment so we have more time. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in a New York minute, okay? All right, and we are back, okay? That way we, we can keep a track of time. So, Let's use this um, as a real-world example, right? Let's say I utilize my superpowers, right? Because when it comes to music, I'm a nuclear superpower, right? So let's say, for example, um, the average artist releases a record every month, right? Every month, most artists right now, they're focused on singles and single production, and that's their thing, right? So, hypothetically speaking, I could release a record every week. And I would be four times as effective, four times faster, four times as deadly. Because while they're releasing 12 missiles in a year, I'm releasing 48 missiles in a year. That's just going by 48 weeks, four weeks in a month, one song every, every week, right? Now, I have the power to release two records, three records, four records every week. So if I wanted to overextend myself based on the current standards, I could release a song every two days, right? So let's just say in Dominican numbers, in a week there's seven days, we're only operating on five days, most releases are on a Friday, great. So let's say I release a record every two days, right? So Monday, Tuesday, that's one release. Tuesday, Wednesday... That's two releases. Um, Thursday, Friday, that's three releases. And then I'll give them a bonus on Saturday. So great. Four records over the course of four weeks is 16 releases. That's 16 to 1. For every record that the industry releases for one of their artists that are on the quote-unquote chitlin circuit, they're trying to gain market awareness, right, brand awareness, I can beat them 16 to 1. But let's take it a step further. What if I release an EP every two days? An EP is what? Three or four records. So four times four, 16. Now I could do 16 records a week. 32 every two weeks. 64 records a month. That's two records a day and and then some, as an example. So... That right there would cost me $40 or $50 per record. Let's estimate it at $50, right? Four releases would be $200 per week. $400 every two weeks, $800 a month. Just to release those, you know, whatever ridiculous number, what we said, 16, 1632, 64 records, right? So in a year's time, let's just estimate that to ten thousand dollars. Not bad, totally worth it. I have a catalog with thousands of songs, but this is just an example. So an additional ten thousand, when I could use those ten thousand to secure on average five and a hundred. It's a thousand and times ten, that's 500. With about ten thousand, I could secure not all of the catalog for United Masters, but a good portion, maybe 75%. Now, out of that 75%, I would get 50% of the royalties and the Masters, right? So, five, six hundred records, you know, that's about. About right because i'm I'm focusing on releasing sixty plus on on a DSP such as CD baby so I have five or six hundred chances to make a million dollars. The difference is I'm spending ten thousand for ownership of the production versus spending ten thousand dollars just on releasing the record even though the exposure is greater and the advantages are. Basically, priority of Spotify and iTunes and physical distribution. Although, at the exchange, the balancing shaft becomes the fact that they keep the music on their partnerships indefinitely. Um, Everything is based on their funnel. And I have to... Basically, once again, pay for every release. So, I'm looking at $10,000 that I'm going to spend regardless. Now, I could do that in one show, so I don't have a problem with that. But, just as an example, which would be the best case scenario when I know that I have to spend one calendar year releasing at least 20 albums in order to secure the deal for my record label through Apple Music directly? Um. again, they don't do all of the royalty collection. They do offer it for the singles. They don't offer it for the basic program or for the pro version, granted that is more than one record on an EP, mixtape, or even on a novel. So this is a balance because whatever my extended business partners, in this case, the DSP would be, I have to make up that difference. I have to pay for whatever services that they don't, supplement and in a way united masters kind of simplifies that because i'm only going towards one entity it's a it's still a balancing act you know it's still going to be a headache for example i plan to add other royalty collecting services to the system that united masters already has in place versus on CD Baby, yeah, I like the additional DSPs, but then that's a foreseeable headache to collect those royalties, and they don't even have a basic system that I can add to. So this, once again, puts me in this fucking balanced juggling act of, okay, the pros and the cons. What would be the best decision short-term, mid-term, and long-term? For these initial releases, right? So, what would be the benefits of avoiding that? Because there is great advantage in me taking over the catalog because no other artist on United Masters has my nuclear musical capabilities. Now, the question arises again, and this is flowing naturally just speaking with you guys. Well, what if I could take that production catalog and release it on CD Baby and then use it for promotion and marketing? Because in the end, the records are going to be on the DSPs, and the 35 DSPs that United Masters is offering me are included in distribution with with CD Baby, etc. So all of these things are, are, are very important, you know? So at the end of the day, these are all things to kind of uh, balance out, to put everything into perspective. So what would be the best decision? Well, this is important because when I go overseas, I'm not going to be dealing with different jurisdictions to collect royalties and everything else. I'm going to put that in place before I go overseas. Because now when I am overseas, that's going to add an additional challenge. And timing is everything. The reason why I'm going to release 16 to 30 to fucking 60 records versus each one is because I'm not believing the movie. I'm not in the comfort zone of saying, well, I'm doing, you know, the bare minimum or I'm doing the bare necessities because that's not going to suffice to give me brand awareness and, and, and uh, you know, brand loyalty, real estate in the hearts and mind of the people. So, there's a dual race happening here. It's not only to release the records and promote the catalog, but it's building part of that catalog and trying to secure those sync deals for other opportunities. So, there has to be a balance. It's like, we're trying to release part of the catalog, we're creating a new catalog, we can't promote all of them the same. Some have to be bigger records than others, So now, how do you find a balance when I'm not only potentially negotiating with a record deal, but I am potentially going to be recording uh, for the purpose of negotiating a deal with not only ASCAP BMI for publishing collection, but every other uh, royalty collection service, but I want to go direct to... An investment firm like BlackRock or Blackstone or Tencent, just to give you an example. Obviously, every partnership is going to be a major component for the simple fact that the same way that I could take the catalog for production from United Masters and release it on CD Baby, and although both of them have priority with Spotify and iTunes. And, and ASCAP and BMI for me to move those catalogs to Apple Music directly, it's the same as bypassing Warner Brothers, Universal, and Sony and going to an investment firm and taking it even a step further to go into Tencent, which is a Chinese investment firm, into all things that is media. Audio, visual, hardware, software, Huawei, this, that, the third. All those companies fall under their system because... What we have as as like a social media, Facebook, and the Amazon Prime, et cetera, they have that combined on one network. And because they have the sheer numbers, they have all the political power. They have all the buying power for products, goods, and services. So, you know, I'll give you an example. I wanted to do NFTs for my clothing line, right? Well... Who has the best prices on clothing? They do, because they got the sheer volume and numbers. If I was going to sell my NFTs or license them out, I'm going with that company, which those brands are not known, but the price and the entry point is more accessible and affordable. So because of that, in sheer volume, I'm going to produce more than I would in the States. For example, let's say I, I signed a deal with Nike or Reebok or Adidas or Under Armour. So... It's the same concept because they're building their own DSPs to work with their system, which if it works in their system, is going to work all over the world. But now I'm bringing my library, my catalog, directly to them. And what's going to happen is a very good portion of artists and um, catalog owners or lessees will consider going outside of the United States and looking into markets like Canada. Europe, the Asias, the Middle East, and Central America. So a lot of the business, how, how business is kind of like on standby in the United States, a lot of business is going out again because the incentives, sadly, for growth are outside of the country. So as a business owner, what I'm essentially doing is adapting to the fucking future Based on what's happening today, but I still have to negotiate at tomorrow's prices. I have to hold the value. The same way that my NFTs were basically frozen, the value only goes up because the demand is increasing. Now, if that at the time seemed like a great accomplishment, the new catalog and verification through Guinness World Records increases the value. Now how I release those records while I'm negotiating, while I'm touring, while I'm fucking waiting on verification is the total package that I'm delivering to these investment firms. Because the difference is I own my fucking catalog. So I'm bringing my own money to the table. I'm not waiting on the dream. I understand how the music industry works and how the music business works. I also understand business and technology as a whole. So I'm bringing all this shit together to prove to the world that you can be an artist and be a businessman, but also be an entrepreneur. Because you could be a businessman and play the number two, the number three, the number four, the number five guy. But to be an entrepreneur, you got to be a visionary. You don't want to buy company stocks unless it's through a business partnership where you're not interested in the cash. For example, I want fucking... uh. Uh, premium, you know, diversified stocks. I want preferred stock in whatever company I do a partnership with. I'm I'm not concerned about the money because the money doesn't mean shit. The stocks are more valuable to me than the paper dollars. Digital currency is more valuable to me than paper dollars. So, just to give you an example. So, the question arises, okay, so what do we do? And I just lost a thought and I'm going to try to gain it back. So, And again, I have to highlight that so when I re-listen to this, I can think, what the fuck was I thinking? So, it's the same shit for me to go overseas, understanding this, and building a portfolio based on these values. So, this negotiation, this kind of stalemate, only increases the value as new content is created. Because I understand that I have to go on tour. I still need the essential, which is like the oil in an engine. I need to be able to produce. I need to be able to create physical products and sell them on my performances in order to keep the company afloat. So the shift and the growth will come in the shift of our own perspectives to not do business the same. So I'm going to try to revisit The moment where I spoke about, I understand how the actual business works. I understand music, and I understand technology, and I am an artist, and I am a businessman, but I'm also an entrepreneur. And where, this is what I was saying, I don't value uh, buying a stock from another company. In a partnership, I can negotiate part of the stocks, right? I am interested in creating my own stock, meaning creating my own lane, my own opportunity, and everything else. I think I will lead the way for a percentage. I don't know if it's 20, 30, 40% that may look overseas. Because unless companies in the United States are up to speed with the technology, sadly, they're going to lose market share and market sales to new emerging markets, new emerging clients, consumers, and listeners. Of music because just in the last year, Spotify grew an additional 92 to 96 million of paid subscribers. So, people are willing to pay for premium content if they see additional value than what the common consensus is or what other companies are willing to offer. So, again, I'm being a witness to all these changes from NFT technology to streaming to the royalties and everything else. Now, I wanted 5%. CD Baby is offering me 91 instead of 95. So I'm only at a deficit of 4. But I also like the option of 100%. Because now I have to ask myself again, opportunity for growth. I have to ask myself... How much is that 1%, 2%, 3%, 4 5%, or 10% worth? Let's go to the future and say that the company is valued at $20 billion. What's 10% of that? 10% is $2 billion. So now another question arises, am I leaving $2 billion on the table? That should be the title of today's podcast. $2 billion on the table. And that's just an example. Even if the company is not worth that today, I already know it will be worth more than that in the future. So then the payoff comes in the time frame. What are we going to do? A business partner that influxes cash or cash flow to my company is only shortening the length of time to get to the valuation that I'm interested in. Just the NFT market alone is going to be $85 billion in another two years. So that's 43. billion. Billion dollars on average. Let's say let's just say 40 billion dollars of growth between now and two years from now. So my initial question was, how much of that 80 billion dollars am I able to 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 partake as far as um uh let's say market cap, right? How much of that can I take? Can I take 40 percent? Can I take 45 percent? Just to give you an example, was 20 percent. A fucking 85 billion. 10% is 8.5 million. Right? 20% is 16, 17 billion dollars. Okay. Let's round it off to an even 20 billion. Now you see where the 2 billion dollars is coming from? I'm giving away 2 billion dollars for CD Baby. To use their funnel and their distribution networks. When I know that it's a hierarchy system, that whoever pays the most is going to get top priority in placement. They have, you know, 700,000 artists on their roster. Versus in any other business, I will create my own marketing and promotion and distribution for both physical and digital. So is it really fucking worth paying $2 billion dollars For them to ship a CD for me, to use their funnel when I have to design my own funnels. When you go to buy the NFT, you got to go to OpenSea.io. That's my my online store. So what would be the difference with building a website? Or putting an extension to a website or, or a page on Amazon Prime? What's the difference? I'm fucking paying nothing for that. And and guess what? Amazon Prime already has the customers that I need. Most people are doing their shopping online. Not all, but a very good portion. I say 72%. That's huge in any country and in any market. So the music royalties, I'm still going to have to register each song, each release with each division in each country. They have their own mechanical royalties, streaming royalties what is platinum over here may not be platinum somewhere else. Like, I don't even give a fuck about going platinum in the United States because at 20% of those sales, I'm platinum overseas. So as far as business, a platinum record is a platinum record. If I tell you, yo, I fucking went 20 times platinum overseas, you have to respect that because it still shows that the proof of concept is a viable reality it shows that it is a tangible good. So you can't be all things to all people, and you can't do everything at once, but you can be selective in what you choose. And right now, I'm fighting for my legacy, my career, my catalog, my company, my future. Everything that I want to do is around the corner. Like, we're talking about a projected time frame of 2025. So even if I go on tour for 2023 and let's say I only produce a few million dollars, that will get me through to the wave of 2025 because I'll be one year away from that goal. Now, how do I convey that to my loved ones here now, in the now, my business partners in the today? How do I convey that to them? When I'm constantly on top of this technology, I'm constantly doing research, I'm constantly working on some shit, and I have to educate Everybody around me. And I encourage them to ask questions and they can't handle all of the of the data. They can't. It's hard for me sometimes to handle the data, but I know the importance. You see, when I'm creating an album or a record or a song or EP release, whatever, all this is running through my mind. Because I have to be a fucking time traveler in order to exist in this realm. I have to think of the future. I don't want to be on tour 25 years from now. Maybe 10 or 15 years is more realistic. But there's other phases of my life that I want to start engaging in. And I have to think about the long term. Not just a record label came and they gave me $85, $90 million. Dollars. Well, that's good today. And that may be good tomorrow. But what about two years from now when the NFT market is $85 billion? And I'm trying to get 20, 30, 40% of that market. That means there's $40 billion that I'm fighting for. Minimum. Am I going to get 10, 15, 20, 25? So what the fuck is $80 million? I've gotten by just fine without it. If I'm going to hit a fucking home run... I want that shit to go out of the stadium. I don't want it to hit the fucking banks. I don't want it to fucking hit hit the, you know, the, the areas outside of the dugout. In the little gardens in every stadium. No, if, if it's going to be a home run, let that shit go out the park. I want to be the fucking Elon Musk, the Steve Jobs, the, the Berkshire Hathaway of music entertainment. I need to be Warren Buffett. I can't be my cousin Juju that just downloaded Robin Hood and is trading stocks and is using, you know, a basic platform to buy Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Shiba Inu, that's not going to work. Mind you, the ultimate investment is Ethereum and Polygon. And I cannot own a part of Ethereum as a network until I own the majority of a network such as Tron or Polygon. And these are huge goals. This is like somebody from my generation growing up and saying, you know what? I'm not going to own Time Warner outright, but I'm going to own 25% of the stocks. That's an attainable goal. Granted, you may have to be fucking Mark Cuban. That's a whole different discussion. I let God handle all the fucking complex shit. But it puts everything into perspective, right? Because... It's a clearly written and defined goal. When I put the portfolio on Future Tech Plus, which is my online magazine, you guys can check it out on LinkedIn, shameless plug, Um, it was a visualizer of the current portfolio. But now this throws a wrench into the system once again because the time frame is getting nearer to the summertime. Summertime, I have to be overseas. I have to be on tour. Whatever I can negotiate in the next few months, that's all well, fine, and dandy. No problem. I'll do it. I'll donate to charity. I'll do all these festivals and events and, and what's the other shit it's called? Carnivals. I'll do all that shit now. But when it comes to June, July, August, I have to be on tour. That's where my bread and butter is as an artist. I'm not going to have that opportunity in December or November or October. Yeah, there's money in live events, but not like the summertime. There's nothing like a nice concert. Towards the evening when the sun is going down But right before it gets dark Where you're enjoying the outdoors The family You know, preferably close to a beautiful beach Or a resort That's a fucking concert That's a fucking event That goes into the hours of the morning That you can look back and say Yo man, I went to go see Venom R1 I was in fucking Paris, France And let me fucking tell you how it was There's a huge difference from trying to do that during Halloween or Thanksgiving or Christmas and New Year's. And sadly, most artists are like, yeah, that's where I'm going to make all my money in December. I cannot go through a whole year fucking dependent on December. I make more money in fucking May, June, July, August to last me to the next fucking year. I can't put all my eggs into December. December could be a good month, but December could also be a bad month. You know, if people are struggling to buy groceries, they're going to be struggling to buy presents, and they're definitely not going to go to a fucking concert. Now, they may stream it, and I welcome that. You want to stream my concert? Great. But I need the day-to-day cash flow in order to put these performances together and do this direct digital marketing and this physical marketing. And create these products and services. And be able to travel to close these deals. If I'm going to close a deal overseas for a clothing company, I have to physically be there. I can't do it through a computer. What kind of business partnership can you establish over the phone or over an email? Even if they cut you a check and say, you know what? We want you to endorse our products or our company. So all of these things you have to think about because I am a one-man army. I cannot delegate most of my business decisions in general. Nor do I want to because nobody's going to prioritize making decisions with the inclination of what is the best for my career and my legacy and myself and my family and my loved ones. No record label is going to prioritize me. No DSP, not United Masters, not Apple, not Spotify, and especially not CD Baby, Distro Kid, Reverb Nation, or, or, or TuneCore. They're not going to prioritize me and what I'm doing. That's another reason why I don't want to sign to a fucking record label. It's like you being on the New England Patriots. They're not going to prioritize you if you're not Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski. You get what I'm trying to say? So that has to be my approach. The difference in what I'm doing today is that every decision is inclined for the greater good and outcome of my own catalog, my own library, my own company, my career. These are legacy goals that cannot um, that cannot be accomplished unless everything is perfect. Like what I'm aiming to do has to be perfect in every way. Even if I take it to BlackRock or Blackstone and I let them put it through their system, I have to give them a complete, finished product ready to go. They don't have time to develop. All they have time to do is to release and distribute and market and promote another product which is a very small portion of their entire entertainment portfolio. This is one of the biggest companies in the world. So it's up to me to pick apart their corporate offices and their corporate markets and their regionals and perform in those markets and penetrate those markets so they can see the value in my brand. And say, you know what, a great addition to have to our fucking portfolio. Let's pick this little cherry right here, this little strawberry, this little kiwi. You know what, we can add this to our fucking produce fruit basket. Do you understand me? So, if I used a previous approach, I would not be successful in the future. Because they're no longer using the traditional, you know... We're going to go pitch this idea. We're going to go do this. We're going to do that. Let me tell you something. There's a greater propensity to success by making a phone call and sending an email than buying the biggest billboard in front of their corporate building. Or flying a helicopter and, and throwing flyers out for people to grab them wherever they fucking fall. Right now, you might get a fucking ticket for loitering. If you do some shit like that. So times have changed. Nothing is the same. So I have to put myself in the shoes of BlackRock, Tencent, or fucking Blackstone. But you also have your JP Morgan Chase, you have your fucking um uh Morgan Stanley's and your Dean Witters and your Merrill Lynch's and, and all those other companies. One second. Hey. <coughs> Right? So in order for me to achieve and attain that success, I have to be forward-thinking. I cannot expect for the growth to come from my loved ones because I cannot delegate executive business decisions to them because they're facing their own challenges. I can't expect them to be anything more than support emotionally like a support dog, that still requires for me to feed it and and bathe it and care for it. In order for me to get the companionship, I got to fucking provide for that support dog. But I can't allow one of my family members to close a deal with a lawyer for an investment worth millions of dollars, even for the smallest portion of my company. I'm the one that owns the technology company. I'm the one that has millions of dollars invested, thinking the economy would have been in a better position financially. Not that it's in a bad position, in the sense that I know it will get better eventually, and I know that things will kind of bounce back. But in all actuality today, right now at this moment, it's just physically um, not, not there. So, as tough as financial times are and as challenging as it is, I cannot tell you that I haven't had moments where I was like, man, maybe I should have done this differently or I should have done that. You see, if I didn't invest in the technology company, I wouldn't be where I am because the NFTs would have never been created. I would have never embraced that technology had I not known what I know today. If you look at my portfolio... So many of those investments, at least half, stem from my technology company, even though, you know, the company's still fairly brand new. Like, I'm just about to hit the six-year mark. I don't have 60 fucking years. I'm not fucking Johnson & Johnson, fucking 600-year-old company. I'm very young in this game, even though social-political pressure society wants to tell me, oh, you're 40 years old, you're fucking done, you're old, you're this, you're that. Well, say that to my designs. Say that to my hardware software. Say that to my music catalog. Say that to all the records that continue to be released on a daily basis and are destroying the market on the underground. The only difference now is time to monetize and capitalize on that. Because if you make music, you should make money. And this is a trillion dollar fucking opportunity that I have nothing to lose And everything to gain by pursuing it. So, understanding that today, whatever challenges that the day brings me, I have to overlook that and say, you know what? I have a trillion dollar brand in my hand. And in order for me to reach that Louis Vuitton Hermes level, I'm going to have to work very, very hard. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be an event. Nobody is going to discover me pushing a, a shopping cart homeless and say you got talent. You're the one. The difference between the music industry, the music business, just entertainment, any creative art, technological, you know, investment is me. I need to connect with the brands. I need to look for the endorsements. I need to look for the digital marketing dollars. I got to be creative in my shows. My shows may not be big. But for example, I cater at my shows. No other artist can do that. I have digital cassettes. Right now, I am 100% for digital cassettes. I'm still going to do CDRs and DVDs and Blu-rays and regular CDs and, you know, augmented reality through NFTs and websites and programs and hardware software, whatever. But other than the NFT technology, I like the digital cassette because that means that my older catalog, even though I can't monetize it on a streaming platform, fuck that shit. It's opening the door for sales that are physical. And I don't have to worry about anything other than pressing up the digital cassettes and selling them at my performances. I can still sell them directly on Amazon Prime. I can sell them on eBay. eBay. I could sell them through affiliate marketing. I have options. I don't have to go through CD Baby's channels. I don't have to go through fucking Target and Tower Records and Virgin Mega Stores. That shit doesn't exist anymore, but it is going to come back. And I already know that. There's something about a tangible good that you can physically fit in your hand. That's why the Game Boy was such a disruptor in the video game world. It wasn't just because it was portable or you had Tetris and Mario. It fits perfectly in your hands. And part of that design was incorporated so that it would last um, many abuses. So it's literally very difficult to self-destruct a fucking um, Game Boy unless you go out of your way to damage it. So the same thing is true with the CD or the DVD that can be bundled together and then have an additional Blu-ray. So you've got them all. Plus, with the digital cassettes, you can connect to any, um any. Let, let's say you have a, a in your car, right? You have a USB slot. The car registers it as a drive. And as long as it's a WAV file or MP3, MP4, your car can play the music. If you have an uh, entertainment system inside of your vehicle, you can see the fit the videos, the photographs, the visualizers, the music videos, the fucking movie on the DVDs. Like this is next level shit. And you don't have to have it on a Virgin Megastore for music. You know, you can literally ship all of your products to Amazon. They'll keep it in their warehouse. And when somebody orders it, Amazon will put in the order. They'll send someone to find it. They'll get the physical product. They'll they'll bubble wrap it, you know, shrink wrap it, whatever, foil wrap it, boom, put it in a box, and send it directly to your consumers. I don't have to physically go to my warehouse and fucking drop ship and fucking, you know, fill the box and put the fucking shit from UPS. I don't have to do none of that shit. Now, all this revenue stream, what do you think it's going to do? It's going to promote my NFTs but it's also now going to promote the physical product. So that little streaming money, that's all digital marketing because there are chambers on the internet that they block off unless you fucking pay. You got to fucking pay to play in this system. And that's just it. Whether you like it or not, gravity is gravity. The ozone layer is what it is. Fucking, you know, trees grow from roots. We can't change those things. The same way that I broke down the royalty splits between the producers. If I was offering them 40%, 40 points on the publishing, fuck it. I could do 50%. If I was willing to partake with the masters, even though I don't like it, fuck it. It's a 50-50 split. Maybe we'll just have an agreement that I don't need their agreement or their signature to resell the, uh, you know, Resell the master recording. That solves that problem. If that's the standard of business, oh well. I don't have to have a bazillion fucking streams. Let me have enough to be able to reinvest into the business, to have day-to-day cash flow, to hire new staff that can only take the company to the next level. Because at every interval, you have a fucking price point. If you could take a record and use a million dollars to promote it, you're going to get... X amount of sales. Well, if you have $10 million to promote the record, uh, guess what? You're going to have an additional amount of sales. could be 50% more. It could be 75% more. It could be 100% more. We don't know that. But the system is designed to work that way. So when you release on a DSP, your records just fade to the bottom. They're only at the top when they're new. And even that top position, they get to decide. Because they all have a paid system. So I have to go overseas to capitalize on all my fan base. Because as much as they love my music on the underground, in today's world, royalties are based on subscriber count. Now you have to, uh, I guess, quantumize would be the word. I don't know if that's a proper term. But I have to quantify That audience. So let's say I have 100 million fans all over the world. Now that I get to travel to their markets, I may be able to capture 40% of that. That's 40 million listeners that I have. That could be listeners on a monthly basis. I need those 40 million listeners every month on Spotify and iTunes and SoundCloud and TuneCore and whatever other fucking DSPs, even on Pandora. I need them to play my music in all the fucking malls of the world, even if it's three times, four times a day. It's a numbers game. That's how it works. If there's fucking a six CD changer in your car, like was the standard, some had more, I'm perfectly fine with being CD number six. I'm the last one before you go back to your Adam Levine and fucking Taylor Swift and whatever. And Lamore's and this one and that one and whatever. You know, after your fucking Lady Gaga CD goes on, you can listen to my shit. Nothing wrong with that. My family might not like it. Society may say, well, oh, man, your Lamborghini's a 2013. Yeah, my nigga, but it's still a fucking Lamborghini. And it's mine. And it's paid for. And I don't owe a fucking penny on it. And I'm living my life. I don't have to be you know, a Taylor Swift magnitude of an artist. That's it. Good music sells itself. It's as simple as that. You don't have to like my entire catalog. Maybe you just like five, six albums. You don't have to like five, six albums. Maybe you like two or three EPs. Maybe you don't like any of the EPs. All right, fine. So maybe you just like fucking four or five songs. You don't even have to like four or five songs, but you have to at least like one or two. If you like one or two songs, there's a good chance you might like the third record. So, again, I leave you all with this. As um. basically, what would be the term? As I am nurturing, I'm cultivating these thoughts, conversation style. Sharing it with you guys so you get to see how I build this company from a dollar to a trillion dollars. Hopefully, this can inspire you and you can learn and apply this to your own business ventures. Maybe it plants the seed in order for you to renegotiate terms on your own products and services, on your own premium brands. Because at the end of the day, we're here to learn from each other. I don't have all the answers, but I have a very good portion of the answers. And the very little that I need, I'm looking forward to learning each and every single day at every interval. Every opportunity that I get is a learning experience. So I'll give you an example. For today, I'll be in my office. I'll be working on an article for Future Tech Plus. I'll be networking and and being a digital marketer because I physically cannot connect with uh, my business partners for today because it's President's Day. I don't even know if, you know, what businesses are closed or limited hours, etc. But, I'm going to be as productive as I can be because I know later on tonight, when it's all said and done, I'm going to be in the studio working on a brand new release, on a brand new project, and tomorrow, I'll be facing whatever challenges arise from tomorrow. Because if anything, now, instead of trying to pursue the attention of a fucking record label, now... I'm pursuing the attention of an investment firm. So everything is completely different. And before, that may not have been the case. The way we consume products and services is different. The way we negotiate uh, products and services is different. The way we create the content and, and distribute whatever premium brands that we're building, products and services, everything is different. So because everything is moving so fast, that phone call, that text, that uh, data point, whether it's in a video that you send, maybe you posted something on, let's say, a YouTube or or whatever example, you know, and an email does more damage because people can connect to it at their their leisure, at their greatest uh, advantage to them, you know, at their time frame, on their own pace. And that's how business gets done because at the end of the day, business is hand to hand combat it's dealing with people it's a it's it's a constant trade off of okay, this is what you have, and this is what I want, and this is what I require, and this is what you need. everything is a balance of an exchange of all of these ideas and all of these thoughts so everything is 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 the breakdown of that execution that's really what it comes down to. You know, here I am in a position where I could just be an artist, but look at how many other things I would be leaving on the table. So either way, I can't lose. Either way, I'm going to do music for the rest of my life. I might as well get paid for it. Either way, my catalog is going to continue to grow. Either way, I'm a businessman who's going to continuously educate himself And I'm going to negotiate the best deals. And if the market changes later today, I will adapt to it. And if it changes tomorrow, I will also adapt to it. In the same way that if the market completely changes a year from now, I will be negotiating a completely different deal. Why? Because I can't see myself signing a long-term commitment to a record label. Five years? Are you crazy? You know how much shit I could do in fucking five years? That's like an eternity from now. So what needs to change is that perspective. is the filter with which we see things. So, for example, in my culture, we're very passionate, very loving. Everything we do is so intense that, you know, with my family, if they don't see it on TV, it's not reality. Their definition of success is I'm on uh, Good Morning America. I'm on Oprah. Etc. Nothing else matters in the real world. The real shit that matters is not glamorized in Hollywood. It's not written in a book. You're not gonna find it in a course, and then I'm gonna show it to you on a on a fucking live stream or on television. There are many multimillionaires that are quiet and living their life, and fully content with their life. Yet in my culture, the pressure is on to be the talk of the town, to be you know in the media spotlight etc cetera, etc cetera. you see i don't have um those worries i don't have that limitation because i own my own everything so how do i maintain connection with my family i don't want to shut them out but i cannot let them distract me because they are dependent of my success and sometimes people that you love and care for can put that in peril, can jeopardize everything you're trying to build. So, just like we are dreamers and we have these beautiful dreams, you have to be careful because they are dream killers out there. And that's what the fuck they do. So, you can't expect, you know, a scorpion not to be a scorpion, just like you can't expect for a bird not to fly. If it didn't fly, it would be odd and awkward. So, identifying these key people in our lives and realizing, okay, this is a great person, but it's a horrible business partner. Or this person has deep insights, but it's horrible at being a visionary into the future. Everything is a balance. How do we balance all these things out? I could have stopped everything I was doing today. I could have basically um, limited myself to my beliefs or my understanding, Or I had to make a choice. Well, let me expand on my belief. Let me expand of my, you know, consciousness or my understanding. What can I learn? Do I need to do more research? Do I need to look into CD Baby before I use DistroKid or TuneCore? Can I put them on a scale based on my inclination of how I plan to execute business for the label deal with Apple? Changing the ma- the the masters from the catalog of BMI to ASCAP, connecting with my other fucking DSP royalty collection services. What's the best decision if I aim to do business with a a, a Dean Witter, a fucking Morgan Stanley, a fucking BlackRock, or a Blackstone? How can I deliver them? the very best portfolio, for the very best investment, so that when I walk into their office and I do my presentation, they do not allow me to go across the street to any other business on Wall Street. So that they convince me not to fucking create a corporation and publicly put it on the on the market as a IPO. How can I expand my consciousness? i'm sorry my consciousness how can i grow what could i do differently is there a new book that i need to read is there a new business course where i need to learn you know something dealing with with uh some type of growth inside of what i'm trying to do how can i grow how can i get better not you know what's the easy button to you know solve or settle this uh this limitation right but how can i grow how can i get better how can i do this differently what is it going to take of me do i need to wake up earlier do i need to eat better do i need to exercise more do i need to um take a different business course for example i have to get your next five moves from patrick beth david i have to buy um the 60 day record label executive edition from casey graham i still have to get principles and um all the new versions of uh, principles that Ray Dalio has put together. That's three, four books automatically. I still have to dissect. Do I expect my understanding to be improved? Yes. Do I expect it to be the same? Absolutely not. Because I promise you, by the time I start reading those books, it's going to be a different world. So, at the same time, like I'm doing the study on on, uh, the fall of civilizations. You have no idea how this has helped me. I'm falling asleep now listening to the scriptures. You have no idea how that has expanded my understanding and my view of the world. So at the end of the day, for me, that is what is most important is that I'm working on this dream every single day that I'm working on something, that I'm not just staying behind like, wait a minute, shit is changing every day. Guess what? Welcome to technology. That is the game. That is the business. But if I'm going to hit a home fucking run, it's going to be out the fucking park. I don't want to hit it to the dugout. I don't want to hit it to where, you know, a fan catches it because it's so close to the wall and takes it away from the from the outfielder. No. If I'm going to hit a fucking home run, it's going to be legendary. So... I just realized that I may be leaving two, four, six, maybe eight billion dollars on the table. How much are you leaving on the table by using the same approach, the same belief, or the same, um, you know, limiting outlook? I just realized I leave at a bare minimum two billion dollars on the table. Thank you guys for your time today. I greatly appreciate it. Tune in for our next episode. But for today, I wish you well on your travels and on your journey in your pursuit of happiness. May you conquer everything that's in your path. May everything that you touch turn into solid gold. And please, always remember to dream big because dreams come true. It happened to me, and I know for a fact it's going to happen to you. Have a wonderful day. May you accomplish all of your Clearly written and defined goals. And um, tomorrow, tune in. We'll see where this beautiful adventure takes us. But um, I love you guys. So I'll see you on the next one, baby. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the VR1 uh, NFT podcast. And I'm your host. Love you guys. Ciao.